Mindfulness Mode 192. He who thinks he knows doesn't know. He who knows he doesn't know knows. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, so good to have you with us. Last time, I talked with a member of the U.S. military. He told me about his experience when he showed up for basic training, got bullied, and used mindfulness to shift his mindset. After that, he loved basic training. Check out Aaron Hunnell on episode 191 if you missed it. Today, I'm looking forward to talking with someone I respect immensely. I met Amir in Toronto at a weekend-long men's retreat called The Elevation Effect with Javon Langford. Check out episode 170 to hear Javon's interview. So today's guest, Amir Rosick, was one of the men at the retreat, and during one exercise, Amir and I had to stare into each other's eyes. I remember being so intrigued to learn what was behind that intense, powerful gaze. Now I'm honored to be able to dig into Amir's mindful life and share it with you. So prepare to be fascinated and inspired to hear an amazingly intellectual, phenomenal man. Relax, sit back, and enjoy today's interview. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited. I've got Amir Rosick here on the line. Hey, Amir, are you in mindfulness mode? Always. Amir Rosick is an entrepreneur through and through. He's created and sold businesses. He's a connector, a practical systems guy, and he calls himself a wild dog. He's intense, determined, and focused on what matters in his world. And part of what matters is being fully in the game, which he achieves in part with his own brand of mindfulness. So Amir, what is mindfulness to you? For me personally, mindfulness is being aware of who you are as an individual. I think today in society, a lot of people, there's actually a disease going on. It's uh, a lot of people are trying to be someone, somebody else. So let's talk about in the entrepreneurial space right now. A lot of people are trying to compare themselves to say like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson. Uh, And that's going to cause chaos for your life, mentally, physically, spiritually. Uh, When you're constantly trying to be somebody else and you're not comfortable in your own skin, you're never going to reach mindfulness. So for me, my definition of being mindful is just loving who you are and accepting you as an individual for everything that you are. And I think the thing is some people don't know who they are. Would you agree with that? Of course. majority, Majority of the society doesn't know who they are. So how did you figure out who you are? How did you get there? I don't think so you can, I don't, I don't think so there's a definite answer like this is who I am. You know, mm-hmm. if you go that route, you kind of label yourself. And I'm a firm believer yeah. in the Vedic saying, if you label me, you negate me. I think it's a work in progress. It's always uh, evolving the definition of mindfulness uh, and also uh, your views of life and, uh, as an individual. You know, what I viewed or how I viewed life five years ago is different today. How I live life five years ago is different today. Uh, but finding mindfulness, I think one step at a time. I think first being, first being honest with yourself. I think a lot of people lie. Uh, they lie to themselves or they don't want to actually accept the reality. You know, the saying ignorance is bliss. Uh, there's something called the hedonic treadmill of happiness, which is uh, awful. And people, you know, we are we're a creature of habits. 
they will do the same thing day in, day out because they get certain rewards for their actions. Uh, but the problem is, is like they are too afraid that if they go outside of the ha hamster wheel, the hedonic treadmill, um, that once they go out, they're going to feel pain. And that pain is it's too much for them. So I think the first thing uh, to find mindfulness is honestly slowing down what you're doing and kind of taking an audit of your life. I think a lot of people don't really write down of like, okay, what am I doing in my life that I like? What am I doing that I don't like? Uh, what can I improve on? Uh, what can I let go of? Like really go in deep your whole life. That is your career, your business, your family, your partnerships, your friend, everything, every aspect of your life. I think you should have an audit and this applies to everybody. I, I audit my life every year and I look at things I can throw out the window that don't serve me anymore. And then that creates room for me to add new things that do serve me. Right. And so how did you find your first success business wise? Tell us about that. Well, my first success was, was I was very young and I never went to high school, I never went to college. I got kicked out in grade nine. And the reason I got kicked out is back then I didn't like school. I couldn't sit on a, on a chair for like eight hours. That's crazy. And uh, I asked everybody, guidance counselor, um, every teachers, uh, parents, why do I need to go to high school? Because they told me I need a piece of paper, that paper, uh, go to college, that college paper gets me a job. I'm like, okay, um, why don't I bypass all that and I'm gonna do what I'm doing right now and I'm just gonna make cash and I'm making way more money than anybody. Like I was 15 years old making <laughs> hand over fist cash every single day. And yeah. um, that was my first venture into uh, the world of being an entrepreneur and that lasted for a while. And, uh, but, but get this though, even though I was fueled by money initially, because that was the initial uh, uh, line sink and hook for me, that, that wasn't what kept me going. What kept me going was problem solving, uh, risk taking, being in peculiar situations. Like actually it's entertaining and fun. Like it stimulated me to be in that world. Uh, if it never, if it didn't stimulate me, I would actually stop. And that's something I noticed with myself. Like if I'm not having fun in life, if my business isn't stimulating me, if, if, if that's not happening, I will ditch it or I will try to figure out how can I, how can I make it to stimulate me? Because I'm a true believer that time is the most precious commodity on this planet. And we got to really be cautious uh, and really be careful for us not to waste our time and doing the same thing every single day and to really respect time. And then once you respect time, then you really understand like, okay, you know, today is the, you know, today for 24 hours, I'm never going to have again. So what can I do today to make the, you know, the, the, the best of my days possible? Right. Well, I totally agree with that. Time is precious and yes. a lot of us don't, don't treat it the way we should. You've moved in a, in a direction toward currency. And I know your business is, is called block geeks. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Can you explain to some of our listeners who might have no idea what this is even about? Can sure. you give us some, uh, some insight? So Block Geeks is a blockchain innovation hub. And uh, for most people out there, they wouldn't know what blockchain is, but for most, they would know what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin is that internet money, that digital currency you keep on hearing about, uh, more or less associated with like dark nefarious acts like Silk Road or Mt. Gox, etc. But that was part of the growing pains. Right now, it's been more, actually 2017 will be eight years so far that Bitcoin's been around. Market cap is going up to $12 billion, uh, millions of user, users globally. But the technology that makes it possible is called blockchain. So 
that technology has expanded away from currency into many different facets of our society. You can apply that technology into many different things that is going to and revolutionize the world that we know right now. Roughly right now, there's 2.1, give or take, and this is from the World Economic Forum, so 2.1 billion people who don't have a bank account. They don't. They have cash. Really? They give them a bank account. The governments won't give them a bank account. Now imagine all they need to do is download an app, and they now have a wallet that's more secured than any Swiss bank account in the world. I want to repeat that again. More secured than any Swiss bank account in the world and now I can send anybody, anytime I want, money, regardless of what their geopolitical situation is and regardless of what's going on in their country. I did it the other day. I sent somebody money across seas, 40 bucks in Bitcoin. They got it in 15 minutes and they're blown away. And this is somebody that literally all they need is any basic smartphone. It doesn't have to be like a high-tech phone and a simple internet connection. And now you are connected to the world economy. Wow, that's incredible. That's truly incredible. So tell us then about uh, your own business and how you're moving forward with Block Geeks. Yeah, so Block Geeks was created to become an innovation hub to proliferate and to promote the technology, which is blockchain. So what we're doing is we're kind of aggregating the whole community right now. It's very segmented. You have people in this camp and that camp. And now we're trying to put everybody underneath one roof. Also, we're doubling down on education. So the biggest problem right now, there's a lack of developers, lack of education, lack of understanding. So we want to create this um, safe environment to uh, educate other developers, educate entrepreneurs, uh, uh, educate investors about the possibilities of this technology. So that's our initial stages and we have futuristic plans with our business, maybe becoming an accelerator ourselves and investing in blockchain companies. But for the most part, uh, our game plan for the next year or so is to become an innovation hub. Wow, that's that's really impressive. I can't wait to follow and see where this goes. Now, I know that you call yourself a wild dog. I put that into the intro yeah. and you are intense. So tell yeah. us about that. Tell us about how you relate yourself to a wild dog. Yeah, wild dog or wolf. Uh, you know what I like about a dog? It, it can entertain itself very easily. It, sometimes it chases its tail. Uh, yeah. It's free spirited. It's also uh, a pack animal. So I'm big on family. I'm big on, on uh, having good close bonds with people, but having a very small pack, not a big pack. So I'm not about having more friends. I'm ha about having less friends, but deeper meaning and deeper relationships. Also, I'm a firm believer uh, for my personal ethos. My philosophy is I will take a bullet for you. Like if you and I are tight, I'll do whatever I can for, to help you out. You know, regardless of the situation, if she hits the fan, Bruce, and you need help, I'm there. I'll help you out. Uh, so that's how I relate to the wolf. And I love the fact that the wolf, you know, it's one of the most smartest cunning creatures in the wild. And I like the fact that they work together as a, as a family and they survive together. So for me, I can, I have so many personal human characteristics that I see in the wolf that I see in me. Right. Yeah. And I see that too. I mean, you've got that intensity, you've got that drive. Well, you've, you've got certain tools that you use to stay focused and to sure. stay grounded. And I know that sleep is really important to you. Massive. Tell us Massive. how you get the best sleep possible and how that relates to mindfulness. Yeah. So sleep is my, I would say my magic tool that I have in my arsenal. 
um, gives me abundant energy, gives me clarity, gives me focus, gives me everything that I need because I truly believe that if you are performing at your peak, that is a huge advantage in the business world or in any any world in general. You know, having energy, you know, abundant energy, old having clear focus, uh, understanding what you're doing, uh, having a creative mind, a calculated mind throughout the day. That's huge, huge. So basically, it is. basically what I do is my sleep routine is not complicated. It's very simple. It's very regimented. And most people, when they look at sleep, like, okay, I got 10 hours of sleep today, or I got four hours of sleep today. And they relate sleep length with quality of sleep, which is far from, it's completely opposite. It doesn't matter if you sleep 10 hours or seven hours or 12 hours, that doesn't determine if you get a good sleep. So there's a couple of things that determine if you get good sleep or not. Number one, exposure to light and the lack of exposure works both ways. So basically, uh, in your body, there's something called um, uh, circadian rhythm clocks or circa cells. Our body functions on a 24-hour clock. Certain cells release certain enzymes at certain periods of time, like the liver functions. For example, men, after 1 o'clock, our testosterone peaks, our cortisol peaks uh, in the morning is very low. Uh, At nighttime, our melatonin peaks, our testosterone decreases. But all of this is stimulated with exposure to light. So basically... When you wake up in the morning, what you want to do is get exposure to sunlight. And even if it's uh, co- cloud coverage, it's more than enough. Like, please spend like 20 to 30 minutes in the morning outside. For me, uh, since we're over here in Toronto and it's uh, gloomy in the morning, I have something called a light box. It shines 10,000 lux, uh, fre- uh, not frequency, but uh, exposure of light. I use it for 20 minutes in the morning and it really does help. Actually, in Europe, it's considered a medical a device and covered by insurance so studies behind this are huge like if you go to google scholar if you go to pubmed and just type in uh light therapy for depression light therapy for h- hormones light therapy for uh, seasonal infection disorder all this stuff you'll see the studies right there so i use that in the morning uh okay. I, I make sure i'm fairly hydrated so i drink a lot of water i make sure that i work out every single day and my workout every day is different depending on how i feel so it's weightlifting or martial arts or maybe some yoga. And then when it comes around nighttime, as soon as the sun sets, I'm wearing blue blocker glasses. So those are the orange glasses. The best ones are from Amazon called UVX, UVX. They look like construction glasses, but for 20 bucks, they're the best bang for your buck. And they've been tested by third-party companies. And, they, and, the, and those third-party companies have found out that those uh, UVX are, are the best, even for that price. So I put those glasses on as soon as the sun sets. So here in Toronto right now, it's like six o'clock. And so from six till my bedtime, which is 10, I wear those glasses. And what those glasses do, it blocks the stimulatory blue light, the fake artificial light in our house. Because blue light stimulates our daytime hormones. It's no different than you going outside during the day in the sun. That sun, the, 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 the blue light from the sun stimulates your hormones. Uh, so basically what I do is I tell my, my body, hey, it's nighttime. I'm not being exposed to any blue light. Uh, and then that's it. You know, it's not too complicated. I go to bed. I take off the glasses. You don't sleep with the glasses. And then I do that same process every single day. Now, do you know Alex Charfin? Because I think he wears I know Alex. Those. Yeah, he wears them too. I fear, I th- yeah, I thought, you, I thought you knew each other. Yeah, because he wears those. And uh, So don't you have something under your mattress? Oh, as yeah, well? the magnet pad. Yeah. Tell us about that. So Sleep Magneto Pad has these interesting magnets that resonate uh, very similar 
the Hertz frequency, the Schumann residency. So the Schumann residency goes from seven Hertz to 10 Hertz. So I have about, uh, a nut, I would say like an 8.5 gauze magnet. So the magnet is, it's a, it literally looks like, it looks like a heavy carpet. It doesn't look like a magnet. It's just like one big heavy carpet. And it's in between okay. my box and the mattress. So if this is the box, it goes on top of it and the mattress goes on top of that. And pretty much what it does is the, the Hertz or the frequency replenishes your mitochondria because there was a certain scientist in the year 2000, Luc Montagnier, he won the Nobel Prize for discovering that our nucleotides or the double helix is actually stimulated by the frequency of the planet. So you can look him up. It's called, he's uh, Luc, yeah, Luc Montagnier. Uh, and so this professor who created the sleep magnetopad long time ago, I was saying professor, doctor, sorry. This doctor who created the sleep magnetopad about 20 years ago, he's been studying physics and, and magnetism for a very long time. There's no difference. Like for example, if people think it's hoo-ha, I always tell people, how do you think a microwave works? Or how do you think an fMRI works? Right. It literally yeah. sends magnetic frequency in your body and bounces back. And so even now, even now in medicine, they're using magnets to uh, treat cancer, certain uh, therapies, like really high-tech therapies. So these magnets literally recharge your mitochondria, which is like the furnace of your body, which creates ATP and all these other beneficial uh, properties of the human being. So does this use electricity? No, no, not at all. It's just magnets. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it did, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. So it's just magnetic. I know that for a long time there has been discussion over, you know, whether magnets can be positive for the human body yeah. and magnets have been used to treat arthritis yes. and to treat other kinds of pain yes and some people find it helpful some people not so much yes but uh yeah magnets it's just incredible power and we don't really totally understand that effect yet do we i think there's a lot of studies but there's a saying you know the big elephant in the room a lot of people mm -hmm. don't don't study the studies themselves you know if, you know you know how some people say, oh, yeah, uh, I heard this is bad. I'm like, okay, did you do your own due diligence? Did you study this topic? Did you do a deep dive? Did you spend about three months, six months really studying both sides, the people that say yes and no? The answer is always no, they don't. They just hear one sentence like, yeah, that must be the truth, one sentence. Well, and the thing is nowadays you can Google it, like Google microwaves, are yes. they dangerous? <laughs> and you will just get pages and pages and pages. Or you will also, if you want to talk about safe yes. microwaves, people will talk about how great they are. Yeah. And so then you would have to then immerse yourself just like you described yeah. in study to try to figure out for yourself, make your own decision. Totally. So in some ways with all this available to us, it makes it a little difficult, doesn't it? I actually think uh, because we've commoditized and democratized knowledge, I would say still controlled knowledge. Like people think because we have Google, Google only scrapes about 1.9 or 2% of the whole in, uh, the internet. Then below that, the 98%, you got, you know, deep web, then you got the darknet. So just to keep things in perspective, only 2% of, uh, of Google you see. I really believe people have become lazy. Even though we have access to Google, uh-huh true journalism or investigative work or I would say critical thinking using your own noggin, regardless of what side you take. I don't care if it's like yes for this or no for that. I, I don't care. All I care about is I, are you actually using uh, critical thinking to um, determine your decision? The answer is no. Majority people, we are non-rational. We're not rational human uh, beings. We are by impulse, by our emotions. And we're swayed really easily, you know, super swayed. So 
people fall for all these different cognitive biases. They hear authorities say one thing, it must be. Look what happened in the United States, like how people are divided. Uh, even after the election with uh, Hillary and uh, Clinton, it's insane. It's insane how people are easily manipulated. And for one, like, it's funny, I see both sides. Uh, Hillary's side is like, okay, what's wrong? Name me the uh, the policy of Trump that you don't like. No one can name something. Then we go to the Hillary side. Uh, we go to the Trump side. Name me what you know what Hillary's been doing that you don't like right now, or what's the protesters doing? Everyone is just there because someone else is doing it. And they think that's that's the truth, but no one's yes. pausing and really digging in deep and doing their own investigative work. And it's not easy to do that investigative work. And the the fact is, if we really really care about these things we have to either get into it immerse ourselves into it yes. or back off isn't that true yeah definitely and not a lot of people back off because the the media is in our face yeah there's a saying in uh, i'm not a religious person but there's a saying in matthew 7 where he's like why do you look at the speck in my eye when you have a log in your eye yeah yeah well that's that really speaks volumes, that does for sure. So let's talk about meditation sure. here. Is, is meditation part of your life? It is, but I don't, I do a couple of things. I don't do traditional meditation where I'm sitting in lotus and I'm trying to concentrate. So going back to being honest with yourself and knowing who you are, that will determine what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And just through it, sheer experiment. It's not just saying, oh, I read that, therefore it has to work for me. So. At the beginning, I've tried every single different thing possible, and I'll tell you what works for me in order of, of uh, effectiveness. Number one, walking in nature. That's the first thing that I do. I usually walk about 45 minutes a day. Uh, my office is close to the lake over here, so Lake Ontario. It's like five minute walk, and I walk with my cell phone off on airplane mode. I don't have any headsets on, and I'm not really thinking of anything. So whatever pops in my head, it pops in my head. I'm just walking. So that really works very well for me. Uh, number two, what works very well for me also is kind of similar, but I would say uh, short, short type of jogging, like but in a nature setting that works very well for me. Uh, number three, what works very well for me and I started doing recently and only takes 10 minutes, I do the Wim Hof breathing method in the morning. So certain hyperventilation with holding patterns uh, with, uh, yeah, it's, it's like hyperventilation with holding and it's amazing. So check them out, Wim Hof. Uh, the Iceman. W-I-M-H-O-F-F? Yeah. And then finally, depending on how I feel, I do coloring. I color men mandalas. Right. So those take a while. Like these, I have a big book and they're big mandalas. And, uh, you know, it takes two hours sometimes to color one of those mandalas. But for me, it's very therapeutic. Right. And do you use markers, crayons? Crayons. Crayons. Yeah, yeah, crayons. Yeah, yeah. And so whatever comes to my mind or how I feel that day or if I look at the contrast of the colors. And it's funny, like you look back because I've done a bunch of them right now. And you can just from the colors alone, you can tell what state of mind I was in that day. You really have a lot of mindfulness going on in your life, Amir. That's that's fantastic. And I know you listen to a lot of audio books when you're yeah. commuting and that kind of thing. Yeah. You, you're just an avid reader as well. Tell us uh, some of the some of the most exciting things you've learned through reading lately. I would say the most exciting thing is not read not from a book, but the ability or having the love of meta learning. I think that's a superpower. Um, I think people who love to learn, but learning in a meta way. And what I mean by meta, 
meaning learning how you learn and how you absorb information. So everybody absorbs information differently. Some people are very auditory. Some people are kinesthetic. Some people are uh, visual learners. Uh, and if you apply them all together, that's like super learning. And depending on like when do you absorb information, like for me, uh, I like reading the book, no distractions. So I take the subway every day about an hour from where I live uh, mm-hmm. purposely. And obviously there's no Wi-Fi, so that's my chance to listen to an audible or read a book. And uh, how I learn from reading a book is I don't read a book in order. I kind of meta learn a book. Uh, I first want to know why the author wrote the book. I want to know how he organized the book, looking at the table of contents. I have a pen in my hand. I have a little notepad sometimes. If not, usually the back of the book has like two, three blank pages. And basically I just skip through the book and I see what catches my eye. I circle that. I bunny ear that. And when I'm done that process, I read the book. I go to the pages that caught my attention. I take notes. I kind of make a whole thesis of the book on an eight by 11 paper afterwards. That's what works for me. And now that book is a reference book. I always go back to my books. I reread books constantly. Like right now, I'm probably gonna be spending next two months on one book, just really doing a deep dive on one book and really understanding the book. Uh, but I, I, I know how I learn. Like for me, going through a course or sitting in class, I don't learn that way. Uh, I don't learn linear learning. Like learning one step to the next step, like A, B, C, D, a more exponential learning. Uh, I have, have ADD and I think I learn, I learn a little bit different from people. So for me to jump around, I enjoy that. It kind of stimulates my mind and I can cross pollinate ideas. A lot of us don't realize that there are so many different ways we learn. I know totally. I've studied brain gym and read a lot of books about it, and it's really opened me up. I wish our teachers had more concept of this because I think in our schools, you know, teachers expect all children to learn the same way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, you know, yeah. sit in sit in the desk, look at me when I talk, write down notes, this kind of thing. Now, I'm not trying to put teachers in a bad light. I just mean myself. I'm a teacher. I know that I experienced some of those viewpoints and opinions back when I was in the classroom and I just didn't know any better. Yeah. And the fact is some some people learn by not watching you or some people learn by standing. They cannot sit down totally. and learn. Totally. Yeah, there's so many different things that are that are at play there and you know, if we could just teach or make it aware, make our world aware of this fact, it would make a huge difference. Well, I think I think times are changing. Like I truly believe in our lifetime that the modern educational system would slowly start crumbling below us from the financial strain. I think it's like a trillion dollar deficit right now in North America. Also the system itself, it's done, for example. And I'll tell you one plain reason it's done. A, economically, it makes no sense. So you're going to school and you come out with a huge debt on your hand and the skills you learn are non-applicable to society. Non-applicable. Right non-applicable. No one will hire you because you have no skills. And even now, Google, funny, you know, serendipity, Google just released an internal study showing that they found no correlation with your employees that had Yale degrees and no degrees. Wow. So what would you say to a young person who is, say, 17 years old and they're looking at university, they're looking at their future? What would you advise them to do? Maybe they want to go to university. Maybe they're steeped in the the idea that, you know, they want to better themselves. I would say really be honest with yourself. Is this, you know, are you going to school because your parents told you or are you going to school because you actually want to go? That's the first thing. Number two. What do you want to achieve? Like, for example, there are situations where school, I do agree. For example, my fiance is becoming a doctor. I don't want a doctor working on me that's not a doctor, you know, like somebody off the streets. Right. 
or like a brainstorm. Oh yeah. yeah. I read this in a textbook yesterday. I don't think so. <laughs> yes. So I, I would say if you're going to the specialty fields and this is a longer deal, like eight to 10 years, like my fiance yeah. has been in school for nine years now to become a naturopathic doctor from bachelor of science in uni uh, to medical school. So, you know, that route, you know, when you're like in the second year of university, because you got to have certain electives, you got to have certain courses to even apply to go to school. So if you want to become like a lawyer or you want to become a doctor or you want to become an engineer or something like that, then your path is pretty clear. Like that's a path to take. Right. But even, mm-hmm. even if you're taking that path, uh, this I got from my fiance, a lot of times people don't really investigate who their teachers are and you have an option to choose a teacher. And you can go to like rate my prof, which is awesome. Uh, and you can see like the reviews of like, oh, this professor sucks. Don't take his class or like this is the best professor possible and literally has every university you can possibly think about. And all these professors are rated. So now you can pick and choose like the best professor uh, and professors can make or, uh, literally make or break you when it comes to uh, uh, the edu- education. But if we're talking about just like Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Science, just you going to school for the sake of going, I'd really second guess that decision because – Let's say you're like the majority who are going to debt. Um, average Canadian debt, it's like 40, 50K for uni, like 7K a year for tuition, plus the cost of being there and books and all that. So let's say 40, 50K. What, why are you in university first? Are, are you gonna get a job afterwards? What type of job do you want? Sometimes, I wouldn't say so, actually, I'm gonna change that. I would say majority of times it's more financially wise uh, a and also skill wise B to just start working at a company and usually a more progressive new company, maybe like a Shopify or, uh, it doesn't matter. Like any of these companies, like what, what the internet has done with like Linda or Udemy or Coursera, it has opened up the platform for you to learn anything at the end of the day. Like even me, when I hire people or my friends companies, when they hire people, we don't ask diplomas. Like, are you the best for this job? I don't give a shit where you're from. I don't care your past. All I care about performance, performance and performance. I'm not here. We don't want bums here. We don't want people to collect a paycheck. And that's another thing. The mindset needs to change. If you think you're just going to work, you know, you know, a job stands for, you know, just over broke. If you think you're just going to work for the sake of working to just get a paycheck, you're in for a big surprise because you're going to be keep on failing and be miserable in life. But if you're in it to become your best and become a master uh, at whatever you're doing, whether that is marketing or philosophy, I don't even so many different fields. You'll never ever grow, go hungry ever. If you are a top player and you have the love to learn, like meta learning, I don't care where you live, your demand will be there. People will be, and this is why headhunters exist. There's a whole industry. You know, I was with one last night. There's a whole industry of head, uh, of you paying headhunters thousands of dollars to find amazing people, regardless of what degrees they have. Right. Because amazing people are not easy to find sometimes. Hell no. Really hard. They're taking up. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, speaking of being hungry, I want to ask you this question, Amir. Just imagine if you were dropped in Toronto, you no longer had any money, you no longer had any businesses, you just really need to need to make your way. What would the first thing you would do? What would you do to make some money to kind of get started, get established? Do I have a cell phone? You have a cell phone. Okay, so I can do a couple of things. Number one, I would go to a spot that I get free Wi-Fi and start live streaming on YouTube. I'll use YouTube as my distribution. 
Uh, with YouTube, you can go, you can take the same video, go to Facebook, go to Twitter. I would use social media like crazy, especially if I'm doing like crazy different things. Like I would do a campaign that I would, I would call companies like, listen, I'm going to do this charity thing. I want you to supply all the materials. I'm going to do this for your company. I would go around helping homeless people or helping uh, underprivileged kids. Like for example, people know this, like even though we are in, um, one of the best countries in the world, there's still a lot of hungry kids in Canada, like, you know, kids going to school that don't have food. I'll find out where they are and I would help them out. I would, I would give them lunch or I would go grocery shopping with this, with them. And I would document that and use and show people like, uh, it's like from the movie, what's it called? Uh, with, uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, uh, the kid, true story too. Um, you know, he gives, he gives those favors and everyone's like passing over the favors. He's that old movie. It's actually a true story. Uh, this is not coming to my mind, but it'll come to my mind. But yeah, I would do yeah. that. And then, uh, I would then find a company that I love and I, pre- and I, I respect their ethics and policies. And then without asking any permission, I would figure out how I can help them. I wouldn't ask, Hey, do you need my help? I would actually just do it and present them with that. And you'll be surprised. Like if you go to somebody and this is a great business tip for anybody right now, if you're trying to get clients, if you really admire somebody or a company and you know, you can help them out, just do it. You obviously believe in giving first. Yes. That's, that's what I get from what you're saying. You give first and everything else will fall into place. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but it's, it's also a learning experience because the barrier to entry for that is free. And you're learning so many beautiful things and you're meeting so many beautiful people at the exact same time. And it also it gives you a sense of being humble and uh, really understanding like, you know the saying, he who thinks he knows doesn't know. He who knows he doesn't know knows, right? Yes. So the people who always think they know they actually don't know and it's always the other way around. Yes. Um, but like I said, it's I think I think the more that we can actually be exposed to other people and see what they're going through and seeing how we can, because people like you'd be surprised, you know, and this is why like Grameen Bank was so successful as a billion dollar bank. And uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Mohammed Yunus. He won a Nobel Prize as well uh, from uh, Kashmir, Bangladesh, one of those two. But he started a Grameen Bank and uh, that's those micro loans where he gave women like a hundred bucks and 50 bucks, world of a difference. You'll be surprised you go to somebody even here in Canada and you give them a hundred bucks or you give them a helping hand. Um, right. And some people just need some help and that goes yes. a long way. So that's what I would do. If I had a cell phone, I have the world at my fingertips to do whatever I want. And then uh, I would just help amazing people and um, everything else would take care of itself. Wow, I love that. I love that answer. I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a while. I'm wondering if you have a story where maybe you were bullied, maybe you experienced bullying in business, something like that, where mindfulness would have made a difference. Yeah, I was bullied as a child because I was different. My parents are immigrants. Um, Culturally, we're different. We were different. And, and where did you grow up? I grew up in Amir. Toronto, but my parents were from okay. Yugoslavia. Back then, it was a communist Yugoslavia. Very different than Canada, obviously. Um, I was bullied, not too much in elementary school, a little bit, but I was more bullied at the end of grade eight, so last year of elementary school. And right. then in grade nine, I was bullied at the beginning, and something I don't know, something switched in me or triggered in me that I snapped one day and I literally beat my bully. And then I realized that that's power. And then that was kind of like the stepping stone for me. Like 
that was kind of like the precipice or kind of like the, the, the stepping stone for my mentality for many years. You took hold of your power. And in mm-hmm. that case, it was physical power. Yes. And how did you show that power to others without being physical? Intimidation. Because back then, like the type of lifestyle I was living, it was very, I would say fun, but primitive. And uh, mm-hmm. it was all intimidation. It was all, there's a lot of opera, a lot of theater. Uh, sometimes it goes into physical, but for the most part is theater. And uh, yeah, it just, it's a state of mind. Like when people know that, Hey, if I'm willing to go all in, like if you go towards me, you better kill me. That's it. Like I'm not the pushover. Like if you think this is going to be easy, I will do whatever I can to end you. And so that worked in school. Does that work in business? (laughs) Depends what business you're in. I'm all for trying to create a socially conscious capitalism where it has good morals, good ethics. But also I'm a firm believer that the more you grow, like let's say you become a big billion dollar company, I don't care who you are, you're dealing with espionage, you're dealing with spies, you're dealing with government officials, you're dealing with some really, really nefarious people that will come after you. Mm. But uh, if you're like a small company, of course, I don't think so. Bullying is, uh, I don't think so is an issue. I think if you are a threat to a big company, they will come and bully you. They will, you know, Mark Cuban talks about this, especially if you're a tech company. If you come out with an IP, a certain technology that may put another, they will put every lawyer on your, and this is why many, we don't see many crazy technological innovations. They're called um, patent wars or IP wars. Mark Cuban had a huge interview about this. He's like, literally big firms will buy IP banks or patent banks. And they'll sit on them and they buy them for like hundreds of millions of dollars. And if any company comes around and claims a patent, they drop these big patent bombs on them. Like, no, 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 no. We own this. You can't continue. So when you're on that level, like that big level, right. that, that's right. that's very Machiavellian, extremely Machiavellian. Think about yeah, it. Like you're, say, say you're dealing with Russian government, Chinese government doing business. Yeah. You can't compete with that. Oh. Yeah. Amir, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Joseph Campbell. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It made me more aware and conscious of, uh, of what emotions I have. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. You talked a little bit about oh, that already. Uh, but maybe you can yeah. expand on that. Honestly, I would say that's the best thing I added in my life in the last six months. It gives you clarity. Like this is instant. This isn't like, like this is going to happen next week. It's like, all right, after 10 minutes, I'm like humming. It gives you clarity of mind. It gives you this like energetic hum on your body. Uh, you feel euphoric uh, and you just, you literally feel like a million bucks. And the great thing about this breathing is like when you do it, you can't concentrate on anything else because it's so, so heavy. You have to be concentrating on the breathing because it's hyperventilation. Hands down, hands down, I would say, I would call breathing a technology. Like, like meditation is, breathing is a technology. So tell us more about this hyper um, Yeah, so like I'll, I'll, I'll it's hard. You, I see in camera here, I know this is uh, audio, but in a nutshell, it's like this. You would have, and you, you can work up to it, but you'd have 30 rounds of this. You go... Like inhale as much as you can, like feel every square inch of your body, then exhale. So it'll be like, if you can hear this. So you do that 30 times. And on the 30th round, the last inhale you have, 
you exhale and you hold as long as you can. You have a stopwatch. So you have no oxygen, you have no breath in you, but you're holding as long as you can. And then if you can't hold it any longer, you time that, then you take one big breath and then you hold that too. So there's two holds back to back. Then you let okay. go. Right. You do the whole process again, you do 30 rounds. Then on the 30th one, you exhale everything, hold as long as you can. And then if you can't hold it any longer, you take your time, then inhale right away, then hold that inhale as long as you can, then let go and then do the whole process uh, anywhere between three to five rounds. That takes about 10 minutes. And where did you learn this, Amir? Wim Hof, Wim Hof. He All has right, a course, right. the Wim Hof Method. For 200 bucks, yeah. I'd easily pay $2,000 for that course. And he has so many other different wow. things in there, yeah. Wow. Well, I know you do a lot of uh, reading. So can yes. you recommend a book on this related to this topic of mindfulness? Going back to Joseph Campbell, uh, that man has pivotally changed my life in every aspect possible. I would read, I would first listen to it because he's such a good storyteller. So I, I would listen to The Wisdom of Joseph Campbell uh, with Mike Moyers. I'm oh, sorry, with Mike. And then I would listen to um, the interview with Bill Myers for uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Great recommendation. And can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Uh, I'm not big on apps, to tell you the truth. You know, a lot of people say more apps. Yeah. I'm like, less apps in my life is better. I'm, even though I love technology, I don't, I'm not attached to technology per se. If anything, the apps I've used in the past that were okay were Headspace I've used. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes in the past I've used certain uh, heart rate variability apps to check my heart in the morning. Uh, but there's something that I use on my desktop on occasion. On occasion, I use the M-Wave by the HeartMathInstitute. Org, right. And pretty much it measures your brain waves and your heart rate. And you can actually do neurofeedback between your own body and uh, the system. Very cool. Do you use the Muse to meditate? No, I've tried it. The CEO is actually from Toronto. They're Toronto people over here for the Muse. Right. I've tried it. I like it. Uh, but for me, I still have wit- – I have so much more benefits doing the breathing than any meditation. It's, it's, it's surreal. Okay. Like after 10 minutes, I'm like – this is it. This is a drug for me. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Now, Amir, where can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you? Yeah. So the best place is if you want to personally connect, you can just go to my personal website. So that's just amirrosic.com, A-M-E-E-R-R-O-S-I-C.com. But if you're interested in any of the blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin stuff, you can check out BlockGeek. So that's B-L-O-C-K-G-E-E-K-S.com. Awesome. Well, I know that's really going to be amazing as time goes by. It's amazing already. And so thank you so much. I'm, I'm really honored to have you on the show. Well, today. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks. I really appreciate you, know, you inviting me here. And uh, it's an honor to uh, speak with your tribe. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your day, Amir. You too. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.